future begins by receiving God's unconditional love for you. What if God's leading us to make some changes right now that are gonna position us as families and as a church to be a place of hope, to be a light for others? You are unique, God delights in you. He created you just as He wants you to be and we need you to be you. There's something inside of you that's like, man, I need more, I want more, I wanna take that step. I want my spiritual journey to look different because I've been settling. This place is to be dedicated for the things that we will covenant together and commit together to our Lord. Lord, never let this building become the focus of our ministry. Never. But let you and people be the focus and this be a tool that you use in a mighty way. Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now in the chapel or the warehouse or at uh, one of our campuses. We're glad that you guys are along. Those of you online, uh, we're glad that you're here too and have chosen to worship with us. What a great day this is. Would you agree with that? I'll give you another chance because I don't think you heard me. What a great day this is. Would you agree with that? All right. I, uh, I'm so excited. Hey, I want you to come back next week. Uh, I'm going to be speaking next week, uh, and what, what I'm gonna do is, uh, we're in a series where we're calling it, um, what are we calling it? Uh, vintage, that vintage right here. Um, and we're redigging some old wells as we begin to prepare for what God wants for us in the future. And I'm gonna preach next week what I think is the most significant message that I've done over the last 31 years in the life of the church. We're gonna apply it to what's going on among us right now. So I want you to be a part of that. I want you to, just wanted to give that to you up front. Um, it's often my privilege to be able to introduce you to some of my friends. I've got a couple of them who are with us this weekend. Uh, first one uh, is Terry Hilgers. Uh, Terry and Brenda and uh, uh, their family and our family and along with just a few other families started this church 31 years ago. Terry and I grew up in Denver, Colorado. Uh, we went to school together. We went to church together. And then we got to uh, uh, start a church together here. They were with us for five years. And then they went and pastored a church in Aiken. And now they're back in our hometown of Denver uh, on staff in a great, great church. Some more of our friends that we grew up with uh, there. And uh, uh, about a year ago, uh, Brenda uh, went to be with Jesus. And so Terry and I have spent some time together this year, and I invited him to come back. We played some golf, and I think I won, Terry. I, I think I, I won. Uh, cheated. Okay, that's what he's always accused me of. But uh, Terry, stand and just wave at the people and give our love to Terry. Uh, those of you who know him, very critical, very critical in the life of our church. And then another friend, um, a few years ago, you know, it, one of the values that we have at Seacoast is that we serve, right? Uh, everybody serves. Everybody serves. I mean, it's not just a few people. You know, a, a lot of times I've said before that um, a church looks like a football stadium where that you've got 80,000 people. Cheer, uh, no, let's, let's do this again. Um, <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> You've got 22, 22 people in desperate need of rest being cheered on by 80,000 people in desperate need of exercise. There we go. Let's laugh. It's good. And that's not what the church is. That was never our vision here. Everybody serves. Everybody does. If you haven't found a place of service, you need to do it, okay? And we serve in the church, in the community, and in the world. We don't serve every week necessarily, but we serve in each one of those areas. And so for me, my in-the-world service for a few years was, uh, was doing uh, leadership teaching with John Maxwell in India. And when the commitment to that ended, I asked the Lord, God, where do you want me to serve in the world? Where do you want me to serve in the world? And I, I felt very distinctly that I, I was to serve in Europe, that God wanted me to give the rest of my life of you know, service that's not in America in Europe. The problem is I didn't have any friends. I didn't know anybody in Europe. How I mean, you know that? That is a problem if you feel like you're called to be somewhere and you don't know. I literally did not know anybody. And one of the first, uh, first people that I met uh, from Europe was Tapi Colioso. And uh, Tapi uh, is the uh, founding pastor of Jubilee Church in North London. It is a great church. It's got between two and 3,000 people, which, let me tell you something, in London is huge. And it's pretty big anywhere, but it's a great church, a live church, very diverse church. And uh, we have become very, very good friends. We serve together uh, on a, a leadership uh, group that uh, convenes um, um, some of the largest churches in the UK, 70, about 70 churches and their leaders uh, twice a year. In fact, I'm going in about a week and a half and I just teach some leadership principles and we try to grow together and, and uh, we, we've been a part of that. And um, it's just my privilege to really uh, have this guy in my life. And so I am excited uh, that he's gonna come. I believe that he has a word for us and you're gonna, you're gonna catch it. Has a word for us for this season in the life of our church. So would you stand to your feet and give a great big Southern hospitality, Seacoast welcome, Tapi Colioso. Thank you, thank you. You may be seated. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. I'm going to read you a few verses from the book of Habakkuk, and um, it'll probably come up for you. Habakkuk chapter 2, it says, For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. And the second verse I want to read to you is from Leviticus. It says, The fire shall be kept burning on the altar continually. It shall not go out. The fire shall be kept burning on the altar continually. It shall not go out. Good morning. It's a great joy for me, really, and a real privilege to be here. I love your founding pastor, uh, Greg. We are friendship. Uh, it's not just, I was going to say mutually beneficial, but I think I benefit far, far more from the friendship. And uh, he's just, what he says about helping churches uh, in Europe and in the UK is far more of a bigger deal than what, what the way he just says it almost casually. It's a real big deal. Our churches, many churches are not uh, needed to get to another level. And with his uh, giftedness, expertise, 
just come and just, so we have some like 70 churches come together and uh, often wouldn't break beyond their denominational lines, but on this occasion they are. So in many ways it's something very rare uh, that is happening there and he's just been so critical to the whole thing. So he's a real blessing to the UK, to Europe, and, uh, and definitely in my own, my own life also. I love your pastor also, Josh, and uh, we first met at a conference someplace I was speaking, and uh, we hit it off and then found out, oh, oh, you're Surat, oh, okay, 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 okay. How many Surats are there? They're all over the place. Yeah, you know, one of the first times I got, Greg was preaching in our church, he has this photograph, you probably all seen it, with him and his whole family and the kids. They were much younger then, just, just the cutest, cutest thing. Every, you know, when I saw I thought, is, is this true or did he just make that picture up? Because if ever you're going to choose a family, you choose that one and just make it up. They look so, so wonderful, so beautiful. And uh, how many surats are there? It just keeps growing. Every time I come, I meet another one and another one. And uh, on and on, I'm, I, I'm thinking of joining myself. And <laughs> if they'll have me, yeah, there'll be a black surat running around. It'll be me. <laughs> I can make that joke. You probably can't. <laughs> Yeah, those are two things I really love that the Lord is doing here. The third thing I really love is just sensing what God is doing amongst you. I really did not, wasn't aware of it till I got into the States and then uh, just speaking with uh, Josh and then some of the other people around in church life, some of the things we heard even this morning uh, by way of the move of the Spirit, the touch of, the, of heaven on people and healings that are happening and so on. Well, when, when these things are happening, uh, don't take them lightly. Take them wholeheartedly. Because it's the easiest thing when a church has been going for quite a while and it seems to be going well to kind of just plateau. It, it can't happen. But when God decides, no, I want to come in a different and fresh way, then that means he wants to elevate things to yet another level. Because there are people beyond here who have not yet been touched but they belong to this house, though they don't know it yet. And so God wants to do things in this house by his spirit. And so for me to hear about the healings that are going on, it's a wonderful thing. The Holy Spirit is coming in greater dimension into this house. But you just need to know that whenever he comes, he is a visitor with an agenda. And his agenda is to bring heaven down to earth. May thy kingdom come and may thy will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. That's his agenda. And so you need to be ready for that agenda. You need to be ready. Sad to say, there are churches sometimes that kind of want the Holy Spirit, but they want to say, whoa, 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 before you come in, Holy Spirit, you know, what, what exactly is it you want to do? Because, you see, we, we have our agenda. It took us a long time to write it up. <laughs> a long time. You know, we have our agenda. It's, everything is all good. It's all, you know, alliterated and everything. So, what is it you want to do? Because we're a little concerned you might mess with our agenda. And we will not be happy about that. Well, whenever you have that kind of speak for the Holy Spirit, he's not listening. You know why? He's gone. Why you're still making all that? Because he can read the heart. And he knows where he's invited and where he's not. 
Remember you seen African snails and their tentacles that come out, they're really large snails. As a little boy, you real, I realized, you know, you touch those tentacles, they just shrink right back in. But if you touch it two or three times, it, when it goes in, the whole snail goes into the shell and it, it won't come out again for quite a long time. There's a warning in the New Testament, do not quench the spirit. And therefore, the advice there is this, invite the spirit. He, he's a visitor with an agenda. But when he comes, he doesn't just want visitation, he wants habitation. He wants to move in and live in, he wants to live there. Which is a good thing, especially because the church, it's not your house, it's his house. So thou shalt not forget that. <laughs> so you don't really, you don't really have any rights, actually. It's his house. Can you say amen to that? It's his word, it's his gospel, it's his truth, it's his power, it's his house. I love the video, the reel that, we sh that was shown before uh, the service started, just about everything God had done all these years. And yet he would say to you, oh, I'm not finished yet. I want to carry you to another generation. I want to leave a legacy behind that will never be forgotten. And so when he comes in beyond visitation to habitation, that he might have real demonstration of who he is. Therefore, don't despise the days of small beginnings. Don't let cynicism, skepticism, negativism, don't let these things, the disposition to always project to the worst case scenario, don't let those things hold you back from the full work of the Holy Spirit, what he wants to do in your life, which, by the way, you need him. I need him. Therefore, we must do what it says in Leviticus chapter 6, where the Bible says, you shall keep the fire burning. Said the priest shall keep it burning continually. It shall not go out. It must not go out. And it's with all of that I want to speak to you this morning about being a watchman. A watchman. The watchman. Watchman is one who you have a particular task that you are being, you're being called to. And you, you, you're awake and alert. And you're making sure that you're doing it all right. You're a watchman. You are not distracted. And God is doing a new thing here in this church. That I, I, I began to think when I, was, when I knew I was going to speak, I began to think along these lines. Then I got here and I heard what God is doing and I knew. This isn't just my own thoughts. Uh, there are things that the Lord wants me to just bring here that will all be benefited thereby. To be a watchman. First of all, I'll talk to you about the, the natural watchman. In antiquity, in biblical times, the natural watchman was one who would climb the tower and would be able to see far away, be able to uh, recognize if there were uh, uh, you know, evil coming towards the city and be able to just give a shout an alarm and so on. That's the call of the watchman. And in those days, they wouldn't, they wouldn't just choose anyone anyhow. They would choose people who, first of all, they would have been servants. They would have been servants. They would have trained them and honed them. Serve people committed to a cause. So that later on, they become the watchmen that they need to be. Not just that. Part of the training, if they really had an aptitude for it, they would train them to become soldiers. They would be able to handle the sword and handle themselves and protect people. So you didn't just choose anyone to be the watchman. No, these are gifted people. And then they were, they were also seers. They could see things that you would just not see. 
<laughs> Many years ago, I was living in some part of Nigeria, far away, rural area, and uh, I had to stay there. I was staying there for a year and uh, preaching and so on, uh, you know, in the name of the gospel. You know, anytime you pray, Lord, take me wherever you want. Huh. That's <laughs> all I'm going to say. Huh. <laughs> you know, anyway. Um, and these people, they, they, you know, I was living in a hut, you know, for the year and so on. And sometimes you would walk in with a friend, one of the locals, you know, and they would say things like, huh? You'd be like, what? They, Can you smell it? I'm like, no, they don't. There's a snake. There's a snake here. <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> they, I mean, they could smell it. Me, I just walk in. I mean, I, from the day they told me that, you know how I opened the door anytime I got to the hut? I kick it open. <laughs> kick it open. I'm watching the whole time. Barely slept all that. You know, you have to bring one of them. Do you, do you smell anything I need to know about? They were just so attuned, so sensitive. The watchman was like that. They could see things that you would not see, but it's there. Second uh, Samuel chapter 18 really uh, captures this for us. Where David is about to go to war uh, with all his soldiers, thousands of them. And uh, last minute they said to him, no, we, don't want, we do not want you to come, David. We want you to stay back home. Because if you go, you get killed. Your life is worth 10,000 of ours. You stay behind. He really didn't want to, but he had to. So he stays behind, but what he did, he gets a watchman up on the tower. And so you can imagine now, far away there is desert, watchman is here on the tower, and David is right there. And the watchman, on one occasion, he says to David, wait a minute, I see a man, I see a man running. That's his job, he's the middleman. He's the middleman. He sees and he gives. I see a man running, he says, he's coming, he's coming towards, and from the way he's running, they would know if it's good news or bad news. (laughs) He says, in fact, I see a second man and the way he's running, he looks like the son of Amaziah, son of Zadok, and so on. I mean, he could describe the guy. If you were on that tower, you'd be saying, I don't see anything. Are you making this up? <laughs> they could see things that you would not see. They were trained to be that way. A watchman. That's a natural side, but there's a spiritual dimension to it all. Where God comes to Ezekiel and says to him, I have called you to be a watchman over the house, over Israel. I have called you to be a watchman. And for you and I, we too have been called to be, to be watchmen. Watch, people who stand and are able to read the signs of the times and respond to the thing God has given to us with absolute seriousness, a watchman. And it really is a call to prayer. It's a call to prayer, having prayer beyond the activity of a moment to the calling of a lifetime. And it's a kind of prayer that actually right through your life, you're learning to be close and attuned to God. And it's with that I want to talk to you about some of the characteristics of a spiritual watchman that you may know. Because if we live this way, you will find that you're naturally inviting more of the Spirit. I want all, all, Lord Jesus, all that you have for me, all that you've bequeathed to me to come this way. Five characteristics. First of all, a watchman is one, they stand in God's presence. That's where it all begins. They stand in God's presence. It's a call to worship. It's the first, your first call in life, the purpose for which you were made, the purpose for which you exist on this planet, to glorify God. It's a call to worship. Elijah says, I am Elijah, I stand in the presence of God. 
For him, that's a big deal. And so it is and ought to be for you and I. The call to worship, to be before God. So that beyond worshiping is the singing of songs. It is the presentation of yourself. Where you're saying, Lord, here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you are my God. It's total worship. The, the, the psalmist puts it this way, Oh Lord, my God, earnestly do I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I've gone into the sanctuary to behold your power and your glory. He said, when I am weak, I go into where you are. I just go there. I abide there. And I see you and sense you. I worship. You and I, we've been called to be worshipers. In fact, he goes on to say, then my lips will praise you, the singing of songs. Goes on to say, then you know, I will bless your name and I will lift my hands unto you. It means that whenever we're worshiping, like we were doing earlier on today, in corporate worship, that you come in. You really are presenting yourself to God. Now, if you don't live with that in your mind, you could be missing something. You could sing the song. You could miss a moment. It really begins with the heart. I have come today, O oh God, to be before you, to stand before you. I've come. Therefore, I lift my hands. I raise my voice. I sing those beautiful truths set to music. Saying, say, you know, I am, I am who you say I am. I am who you say. When God came to Gideon, I said to him, Gideon, mighty man of valor. He's like, sorry, who, where, he, who? In that moment, something really amazing is happening. God isn't suggesting to him. God is telling him who he is from God's perspective. And it will take a while for, before Gideon gets it. To say, oh, I get it now. I am who you say I am. But that only happens when people enter into a transaction with God where they're before him in worship. These are not, it's not mere singing. Greater things are happening in those moments. He says, here I am. And so you lift up your hand. The lifting up a hand and putting down a hand. This is a mere calisthenics. It is an exercise. You want to exercise, go to the gym. There's something greater going on here. We come before the number of different postures in the Bible that should attend our worship. There should be nothing passive about when we're together like this. The worship leader shouldn't have to crank it up and almost beg the people to go, whereas the whole time, ah, the people are like. Not you, you understand. <laughs> no, really, the corporate times of worship here have been dynamic. I love it. I love the band. I walked in here earlier on today. They saw me, they're like, oh, can we pray for you? Most worship bands don't say that. They say, whoa, 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 out, we've we're, we're got, we got, we got serious things to do. We've got serious things to do. We've got tight trousers. We've got serious, serious things to do. <laughs> we're serious people. I mean, I couldn't, that's the first time that that's happened. They, they, they dropped all their stuff. They're like, can, can we pray for you? I'm like, yeah, I need all the, evidently they know I need all the prayer. And I was right here, they laid hands on me, prayed for me. Prophetic words coming. I mean, you guys are blessed. You know, anytime you see them walking around, you should tap them on the shoulder and say thank you. Because they, they, they are people of the Spirit. And that makes a difference in the life of the church. He says, whenever you come, come before God. When you come and you make yourself available to God, you choose not to be passive. 
you decide I'm going to be right into it. What you're doing, you're adopting humility before his majesty, and he loves it. Because you're saying, if the stars were made to worship, so will I. I'll honor you forever, Lord. You're declaring your availability before his sovereignty. Whatever you say, whatever you say to me, I will do. Help me, Lord. You're, 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 you're deciding that your deficiency, you're recognizing your deficiency in the face of his sufficiency. I lack a lot. You have everything. You're all I want. You're all I've ever needed. So help, help me know that you're near me. It is presence before position. Anytime you come before God, you're looking for an encounter no matter how small. No matter how small. When I have wake up in the morning, I'm looking for an encounter in my times of prayer, no matter how small. And it carries me through the day. Oh, the watchman is one who stands in God's presence. The watchman is one who senses God's spirit. Because he stands there regularly, he can feel and sense the presence of the Lord. People like that are not difficult to get directions from God. They find it easy. They can sense God. And so they are spiritually aware. Ezekiel said, when God called him to be a watchman, he says this, the spirit of the Lord was upon me. Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 22. Then he says, the spirit of the Lord was inside me, verse 24. Says then the spirit of the Lord lifted me and carried me. What you're seeing here is a person who has learned to live in the consciousness that God is around. He's living with the consciousness of God's presence. Consciousness of God's presence. Presence. You need that. A man is a Christian, gives his life to Jesus Christ, and he begins a journey with God. He's walking with Jesus. Jesus is just quiet walking. He's there the whole time. This young guy, he's happy. He's jumping. He's just enjoying life. The Lord is blessing him. But the whole time the Lord is quiet. Walks with him, walks with him, walks with him. One day, Jesus stops, looks at him, and says to him, I am God. I am God. Let's walk. Do you think that moment is important? That is life defining. You walk with him so many years. One day, he opens your spirit for you to get it at a higher, deeper dimension that resides on the deeper recesses of your psyche where you know, I know he is with me. I know thou art with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I know you're there. He says, I'm God. Oh, you need moments. We all do. And anytime we come together like this to worship and we learn to sense his presence, it's a good thing. People like that are easily directed by God. They're easily moved by God. They are not hard to be moved by God because they're attuned to him in the right frequency. Watchmen are those who stand in God's presence and they see God's, they sense God's spirit. Then they see God's work. When God comes to Jeremiah and says to him, son of man, what do you see? What do you see? He says, I see an almond tree. And God says, you've seen right. You've seen right. In other words, he's getting visions, dreams. When we say, Holy Spirit, come, we're really saying, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. 
Help me see things beyond what I used to see. Don't let my heart grow cold. Don't let my Christianity become mere religiosity and I don't even recognize it. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation where I was young and I loved you and I could sense your presence and I could get a feel for what you're saying and what you're showing me. These are days to hear what God is saying, what he's showing, visions, dreams. Says your, your older men will dream dreams, your young ones will see visions. As it was in biblical time, God still does it today. Can you say amen to that? Because I believe that all the gifts are still available today. And therefore, we must be hungry for them, earnestly seek after them. God still speaks. In Job chapter 33, Job says this. He says, he says God speaks one way and another. The Bible's way of saying God speaks in diverse ways. He speaks one way and another. He says he goes to man when he's asleep at night, when his eyelids are shut and he's slumbering. He opens his ears and he whispers words into him. And he wakes up knowing that God has spoken to him and given him warnings about things that are to come. God still speaks. God, it would be hard for me to be the kind of Christian the Bible demands I ought to be if I never hear God. We serve a God who speaks. He is not mute. He is not deaf. He sees and he communicates wherever people's hearts are like, I need you more than ever, God. He'll whisper his truths to you. For the most part, it will almost feel like it's a thought of your own, but you soon begin to recognize it's not just my thought. I didn't just think this thing up. He is leading and directing me. This is how to live for God. You and I need this. Every, all the gifts of the Spirit. And nothing about this need be weird or crazy. You know, things sometimes in the, are done in the name of the Spirit. You know, I grew, up, I grew up in Nigeria, right? And I was a charismatic church. And, you know, until something weird flies on the ceiling, and, you know, people are not happy sometimes. <laughs> Just something... There's something crazy has to happen and something, somebody has to screech and something. And for the most part, a lot of that, frankly, can cut across what the Spirit is actually doing. I'll tell you something about the Holy Spirit. He's a gentleman. He doesn't come where he is not invited. And so he doesn't, he doesn't, he, doesn't he, he is the PowerPoint. But when he's there, he doesn't freeze people with fear. He liberates them into joy. And therefore, we, we want him. We need him now more than ever. God, God wants ch churches that are not completely led by the pragmatic. They're looking for things of the Spirit. And the Spirit has his way there. And then a new work begins. Nothing is dormant or still in a church like that. And that, So when you're recognizing the, uh, the move of God amongst you, this, that, those initial moments, they're moments for, for you. They're tests. Do you want more? Or less, I say choose more. When God comes in the Old Testament, he says, I will put before you life and death. Then he says, choose life. I mean, that's beyond a hint, right? He cares. Choose life. Oh, watchmen are those, they see God's work because he's showing it to them. And because they see, they begin to speak God's word. When God came to Isaiah, he said to him, Isaiah, tell the watchman to announce what he sees. And now, so there's preaching involved when the Spirit comes. The preaching takes on just a different dimension. Somehow those words are weightier, they are heavier, and it's not mere information. It's life transformation that really does happen.
When God came to Ezekiel, he said to him, if I tell you that a man will die because of his sins, I am hinting to you to go talk to him because I don't really want him to die. That's God for you. God is, look, God is good. And everybody said, Amen. yeah, that's how profound my own thoughts go. God is good. He's good all the time. He's, he is so good. So whenever he sees a man is going to die in his sins, I mean, he goes to the prophet to tell him. God says, that guy's going to die because of his sins. Why is God, Ezekiel, why are you telling me that? I'm telling you so you can go tell him and warn him. In other words, God doesn't want him to die. When God went to Abraham, God was going to destroy Sodom. He went to Abraham and said, I'm going to destroy Sodom. I am. Abraham says, uh, well, what if there are 50 righteous people, though? And God says, well, if there are 50, then I won't do it. What are you reading there? You're reading a benevolent God. You're reading about a benevolent God who really doesn't want to destroy them. And so he's looking for a watchman who will be an intercessor. He's going to be in the middle. That's what God is looking for someone. If only I could find a man, he says to Isaiah, looking for a man to stand in the gap. So he goes to Abraham, I'm going to destroy them. What if there are 50? Well, then I won't do it then. Well, what if there are 40? Well, then I won't destroy if there are 40. What if there are 30? Yeah, go on then. I won't. You re God really doesn't want to destroy them. And it's worth recognizing that Abraham stopped asking before God stopped conceding. It was Abraham that stopped first. God did not want to destroy the people, even if there's only one righteous man there. And in the end, there was only one righteous man, and God delivered him. It was Lot, and God brought him out. He doesn't want to destroy people. Watchmen are those who, therefore, they speak God's word. They speak it. They're in the middle. God shows them. In other words, so prophecy is involved. When he says to Jeremiah, he says to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, I'm telling you this. I've made you a prophet to the nations. So expect prophetic words to flow, to flow more than ever, to lead and direct, to set the agenda of the church. That's what God wants, a place where he is so invited. He, it is his house. He abides there, and he blesses and touches the spirits of the people. When church is not just where they go, it's who they are, God's own people. And then they stand like a light, a beacon, a light on a hill that cannot be smothered out. And then bit by bit, people begin to, when God begins to move in a place, somehow people begin to find their way there. Even before they've been tapped up or evangelized, they, they begin to somehow find their way there because God wants to touch them through a watchman, you and I. And then there are also those then who serve the cause of God. They serve God's cause with passion and purpose and true affection for who God is. They love him. Therefore, they serve in whatever area they can serve in the house of God. They serve him. He says, the fire shall not go out. He said, let the priest know. Let them put the wood. Let them arrange the wood properly and then put the offerings on it. The fire shall not go out. It shall burn continually. It mustn't go out. For it not to go out, it means every single person here has a role to play. Every time you turn up on a Sunday, huh, you're playing a role. You're like a log that has been put in and saying the fire will not go out. I had read stats a little while ago, a few months ago, that the average large church has one in four people or so. People go to church one in three, one in four. And a, a, watchman, a watchman doesn't quite do that. 
It watched me recognize I need to be there. They're giving. They're following leadership. They're responsive. Why? They, they, because they're watchmen. They do everything they do with their affections for God. They do it with perfection for God because they love God. You and I have been called to be watchmen. If there's one word that captures all of this, encapsulates it, it's the word an intercessor. Intercession, to be an intercessor. And there are offices, there are roles and places where there's gifts, if you like, that people have of intercession. But really, the whole church has been called to be that. It just looks slightly differently depending on how you've been gifted in that regard. Now, anytime I've seen one who has, who has a cause and stands in the gap, usually they have a burden, a burden for someone, a burden for a place, a burden for a people group, a burden for something that has to do with God and this God's earth, a burden to change it for better, something that has been wrecked and crooked. For me, as a young boy, 13, 14 years old in Nigeria growing up, one morning, 6 a.m. or so, I'm at the bus stop, and I saw something that never left me from that time till now, where a man walking to the bus stop in his suit, he is so angry. And uh, it was what was behind him that really wrecked me, because his wife is behind him, and she's hardly clothed. And you could tell that he's been hitting her, and she's running after him and pleading with him to get the keys to be able to get back into the house. He didn't want to hear it. He just kind of threw her off. See, for, I had just never seen anything like that. Never seen anyone uh, in public naked like that. Never seen, it was just horrible to me. And that thing never left me. Many years later, I would become a pastor. And I would find out there are situations I can never, I just can't walk past them. Why? Because I, I have a sense of what that thing feels like. If you like, the Lord uses the negative things in our lives that we see or we're involved in, he uses it for good and brings a burden that we may care. That next time you're going to see things like that, you're going to care about it. More than even you imagined that you would. You're going to care about it. When I think of people in Malaysia who have become refugees, one million people basically thrust out of their own nation. And by and large, the world sits and watches it go by. It's a horrible thing. I think of in India where women regularly gang raped. You read on the internet the no, just the numbers of it, almost like an epidemic. And many women, Indian women that I've spoken to say, oh, yeah. And it's taking the women in the nation to rise up to fight against this thing. You think of different oppressions that happen. Slavery still happens. In the 21st century, it still happens. Or the knife crime that we're facing in my own city there in London. Or who can ignore or forget what just happened a couple of days ago in New Zealand where someone sets up to kill people and video it and stream it live. It's, it's a different order of evil that is happening. And you will find yourself thinking like Habakkuk, oh God, why are you showing me these things? Why do you show me this thing Habakkuk says in chapter 1? You show me iniquity, destruction. You show me violence and strife and contention. And now the law has become completely paralyzed. And God is, God is, why is God showing him? He's giving him a burden for this people group, for this situation. That's why. And he, on, he, he relieves that burden only in the place of worship. He says, I will go upon my tower, the watchman. And you see him in the presence of God and then crying out to God for the cause. That's what God wants you and I to do and to be. Why? Because the dark places of this earth are full of habitations of cruelty. Psalm 74 verse 20. There, there are dark places on this earth and they are full of habitations of cruelty. And if you, 
if you live in a way that you don't see those things, you give the impression that your God is too small. But the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And God calls you and I to pray as we come together, enjoy his presence, and he speaks to us, and they begin to put burdens of our, on our hearts, whether it's for Togo or for T Tajikistan or for wherever, or whether it's just next door. He's called you to be a watchman. He's called you grandparents, that every time you have little Johnny with you, oh yes, you don't just take him shopping and play, you're also learning, you're putting your hand on his head. And you're praying for him in the name of the Lord. And prophesying over his life that he will, Lord, let him know you from an early age. And the purpose for which you've put him on this earth, let him recognize it and walk that line right. Let him be a joy to his parents. You pray and prophesy over them. Why? Because you're a watchman. You've been called to be, to be a watchman. And that's why I want to pray for you. I want us to just take a few seconds here to just pray together. The heavenly watchman doesn't just care about the situation far flung, but about you. The natural watchman, the spiritual watchman, you and I, but then we have God, the heavenly watchman. And he watches over your spirit, he watches over your soul, he watches over the situations in your life. Wherever we come before him, he's not just using us. God doesn't just use people and spew people. He blesses them as he does. Would you stand up with me? Let me pray for you. I was in our church, Jubilee Church in London. We, a couple of years ago, a lady came in. This is what she looks like. Her name is Elenista. Elenista is Albanian. She came, ended up in the UK, came to the church, became a Christian, Said she had a partner, boyfriend from far away. He eventually got into the UK, brought him to church. He wasn't a Christian either. He became a Christian. And then they got married in the church. And one day she came to me a few months into marriage saying, Pastor, I'm pregnant. I say, yay, good. And you could tell that there's a reason she was saying it in a particular way. She said, well... When she was a child, when she was a young woman, young girl, she had uh, operations, that uh, medical interventions that they told her, you won't get pregnant and you shouldn't try. You shouldn't try. She says, well, I am pregnant now. She said, I believe God is going to see me through. Well, as she went weeks and months into the pregnancy, she got to a certain point. Her womb began to rupture. Her womb began to tear and just rupture and come apart. Went into the hospital and the whole thing, it ruptured and tore and she lost the baby. And when you first meet her, you know she wanted to know God, get married, have a child. She felt it. In fact, she felt like God has always put it in her heart. You will have a child. And now the child is gone and her womb has been ruptured. That thing, you know, she kind of lost her mind as a result of it. She would wake up at night. She talks about waking up at night, just walking the road on the streets. And she said, I, she felt God was near, but yet she couldn't reconcile. Well, why would this happen to me? Her husband often would have to go and get in the car, go look for her, get Elenista back into the house. Well, you go forward a few months, she came back to me. In fact, before then, my wife runs a women's conference. And at this women's conference, 
she was there having just lost the baby. And she saw another woman who had a one-week-old baby. And she's just looking at the woman and the whole time thinking, I lost mine. And the lady with the baby sees her and says, are you okay? And she said, oh, I, I'm just thinking about my, my, my baby that I lost. And this woman said, do you want to carry my baby? Go ahead. And gives her baby to Elanista. She carries the baby and hugs it and begins to cry. And this woman, so gracious of her, lets her, says, take all the time you want. And she cries and cries and tells her story and gives the baby back. Many months later, she sees me on a Sunday morning. She says, Pastor, I say hi. She says, I'm pregnant again. I said, oh, hey. <laughs> because I, 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 was just no, I was just nervous. She said, oh, Pastor, have faith. It'll be fine. You remember the sermons you preached to us about God can do it? Okay, yeah. <laughs> Pregnancy progresses. She gets to about the same week where the first one ruptured, and it begins to rupture again. And this time, I, something inside me broke as I woke up and called the church together. I said, we're going to pray that, that God holds this womb together and that this baby comes to full term. And the church really did rise up. We became watchmen, and we prayed and prayed and prayer chain, and it was really fervent. And there was a certain point by which the baby needs to grow to that point before they can do anything. Well, you know what happened? Before she gets to that point, the whole thing ruptures again. She manages to be rushed to the hospital. The whole time they're trying to save her life, not the baby's life. Her life was the primary one. I get the call. I'm there in the hospital. The husband, the security has to hold him down because he's just broken and, you know, angry. I'm walking around the whole time praying in the spirit and talking to the whole church by social media. And everybody knows the story. They raise up their voice. And by the grace of God, not just is her life saved, the baby's life is saved. And the photograph now you see is of her and her baby. We serve a good God. We serve a good God. We serve a God that says, if, if I could just find one person who will stand in the gap, I'll do things that you never imagined. I'll do things that you never imagined. And that's what I want to say to you. <laughs> Whatever God has spoken into your life, though it may look like it will never happen, wait for it. The vision is for an appointed time. It will surely come. Because the heavenly watchman, he is watching over his word to perform it. I want to say to you, Seacoast, there is an incredible future ahead of you. I feel it and sense it. And let not one person get in the way of it, but everyone get together and say, Lord Jesus, have your way, because this is your house. Would you lift up your hands? Lift up your hands. Father, I pray as all these hands are lifted, all these forests of hands, bless and bless again, that this church, Lord Jesus, take it to the new heights that you have and you intend for it. That from this day onward, the move of the Spirit will increase and increase. And many will come here and recognize and say, you alone are God. To you be all glory and honor in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.